Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. Before you listen to today's episode, I wanted to let you know that the content is quite explicit in case you're in the car listening with your kids and also explain why I chose today's guest. The adult film industry is a subculture that most of us have little knowledge or understanding of. It's something that we only see from the outside and without knowing much, we tend to stigmatize and judge the people who work in it. As you know, we always pick guests that we hope will expand your perspectives and worldviews. So I encourage you to listen with an open mind because Sarah shares some really thought-provoking insights on sexuality, sex education, relationships, and much more. People that want to do sex work for the real reasons, they, they feel compelled to either care give or perform, provide a source of entertainment, an outlet for people. It's our job. It's not who we are. We don't go around having sex with people that are, you know, dangerous or whatever. We are tested every two weeks. And now with the COVID thing, we're not even filming right now. We haven't been yeah. filming for three months. So you know, we're in a different place right now. I think everything has to be related to post-COVID now because right. everything is so different. Yeah. But I just want people to know, first of all, I understand if you judge us. I understand this might not be your choice career for a daughter, a sister, a friend, and that's fine. But please know that most of us that are in this career, it's our choice and it's on our terms. We are taxpayers. We're doing it legally and safely and we value our work. And it's okay if you don't. But we are legal sex workers and do deserve respect. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. 
To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Sarah, welcome to The Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it is my pleasure to have you here. So I actually found out about your work, uh, you know, through an article uh, that somebody had wrote on Medium in which they did an interview with you. And I thought just from reading that, that it would be an absolutely fascinating conversation. You know, we will actually get into your work in just a moment. But I want to start by asking you, what did your parents do for work? And how did that end up shaping and influencing the choices that you've made throughout your life and career? Um, my parents, my father is a in lighting sales. Um, and my mother is an accountant and I was kind of raised not like forced into, you know, a career or anything like that. My parents were just very like, go to school, learn a craft, do what interests you. If you try something and it doesn't work out, try something else. Like that's kind of where, what I grew up with. Um, I grew up with parents that always encouraged me to be involved in something. And again, if it's, if it wasn't for me or I didn't enjoy it, then try something else. So I was always kind of doing stuff, um, athletic, you know, athletic stuff, swim team, soccer, drama, theater, dance, guitar lessons. I mean, I was always involved in something when it came to 
extracurricular activities. And so I think that more shaped me as a creative person because I was never really meant to do the nine to five cubicle type of lifestyle. And although my mom is more uh, nine to five than my dad, my dad kind of makes his own schedule um, because he can, because he has, you know, clients that he's serviced for over 30 years. Um, But, you know, I'm just the kind of person that doesn't want to be tied down and on a strict schedule. And I think I get more of that from my dad, um, in that sense. But yeah, I mean, I, I graduated from high school. I went to a a small SUNY college. I'm not going to tell you which one in upstate New York, Mm. um, for protection reasons. (laughs) Um, and I didn't like it. I was, I didn't stay long, only a couple of months. I played soccer. It was fine. And I just was bored and I wanted more. And so I left in my early twenties, went back home. I did some community college in between working retail and secretarial work, some managerial positions that I found to be extremely boring and unfulfilling. And, um, I always kind of had this, this sense of, curiosity when it came to my sexuality. Now I was not a promiscuous kid or girl. Sure. I had some encounters growing up, but nothing like, you know, to write home about if you will. Um, so it wasn't until my early twenties that I really started to feel sexy or realize the power that my body that I, that I possess being a woman. And, um, you know, I wanted to make a living, of course, and be self-independent, but I, I, I was miserable doing all of the mundane things that I was doing. So I slowly started dipping my feet into the adult entertainment world. And what that meant for me at the time was um, dancing at a club on Long Island. Again, I'm not going to say the name <laughs> just to protect myself. Um, and this club was not your typical strip club. It was more of a peep show where gentlemen and couples would come and, you know, select a lady that was available and get a dance. And, um, that kind of was the beginning for me. And I don't know how I knew this. It must've been intuition. It must've been a sixth sense, but this club, um, did offer extras, uh, with condoms, of course. And, um, so it's crazy. It's like when I was hired, I had to give the, um, the, the owner of the club a lap dance. And it was the first time I had ever done that. And I was so nervous. I was nervous, but I wasn't because I was ready for it. And it's not like he told me you're going to, you have to suck my dick to get this job. He didn't say that he didn't insinuate that, but something came over me and I dropped to my knees and I gave him head and I, Again, I don't know how I knew this, but this club did extras. And so that was kind of my gateway into sex work. And um, he said, we wear condoms, girls wear condoms for everything here. Like they sold the condoms at the the place. Like when we got there for shift, we would all buy condoms and lube and mouthwash and like all the things we needed for, you know, ourselves. And um some of us were doing up to 20 dances a day. So, I mean, we were making great money. It was a lot of fun. For the most part, I had some really great clients, a couple of scumbags along the way, but I knew how to deal with them. We did have an alarm in the room. And also we were just like loud New York girls. We can just tell a guy to fuck off, you know? Um, So we took care of ourselves and I worked there for about 
four months or so before I started getting the itch for more. Now, I wanted to legitimize myself. I did not want to work as an illegal sex worker in Long Island, New York. That was not my dream, and that's not what I wanted to be. So I took it upon myself to do the research and put the footwork into learning about legal brothels in Nevada. Now, I took a flight to Las Vegas. I went out there and I started going around the strip clubs and I just started talking to like the guys at the front door and telling them, look, I'm from New York. I want to come West. Um, you know, I work at a club right now where, you know, we do extras, but I want to be legitimate. And they were like, you need to go to Sherry's ranch. And I was like, okay. So I got in a taxi. This is in 2006. Okay. So there was no smartphone. There was no apps. There was no Yelp. There was no this. There was no that. I literally got in the backseat of a cab, paid this guy like 70 bucks to drive me to the Pahrump, which is literally in the middle of nowhere, Nevada. No offense. And when I got there, I rang the bell and the madam answered the door and she looked right at me and she said, when do you want to come to work, sweetie? And uh, that was the beginning of my legal sex work career. And her name was Lorraine, and she was a badass bitch. She was a fucking Wild West, Annie Oakley type of lady who you do not want to mess with. And she always smoked Capri cigarettes and had her little glasses at the end of her nose. I mean, she was like the quintessential madam. And when I took one look at Lorraine, I said to myself, oh my God, this woman's going to make me a lot of fucking money. And I was right. And my first trip there, I made 15 grand my cut. So that means I made 30 grand. So yeah, money was wonderful. And this is again, 2006. So I went out there. I loved it. I started, um, you know, learning how to build a clientele, um, And I knew that from that point forward, I was done with illegal sex work. And so uh, I I wanted more as as usual. I wanted more. I just wanted to take it to the next level. I wanted to secure myself with a future of, you know, choices that could still support me. And I wanted to always kind of be on film was kind of my thing. I was always like a really good actress and did theater growing up. And ultimately, in the back of my head, my goal was to get into porn, but I wasn't going to rush into it. And that was the biggest thing. So it took me about a year of doing sex work before I started adult film work. Mm. Um, I didn't want to just do porn to do it. I had to make sure that I like sex. I'm here for it. This is the real deal. And I have nothing to hide or be ashamed of. And that was really fucking important to me. And pardon so is keeping my name Sarah because that's my legal name. And I've always been very open about that. Um, I didn't want to be called some bullshit name from the get-go. I wanted people to know like this, what you see is what you get with me, with my performance. It's all authentic. So um, I started researching. I wasn't quite ready. And then I met a girl at Sherry's Ranch who actually invited me to watch her film in LA. Um <clears throat> You know, this story is told two different ways because something happened to me personally on that set that is not cool. But I decided for many, 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 many years to stuff it down and use it as an excuse. Like, oh, this is how you get into porn. That was my audition. And it wasn't. I was taken advantage of by a director. And I'm not going to say his name because I don't feel like getting sued today. But um, the, the, the bottom line is, is that You know, I endured some obstacles in the beginning, but I decided not to let it define me. And even though I might have ignored it and stuffed it down and didn't deal with it until years later, hence our conversation right now, Mm -hmm. um, it didn't shape me and it didn't like 
I didn't allow it to start my journey off on a wrong foot. So I ended up filming about two weeks after that experience. And that was in, uh, by that time we were in 2007 and, uh, I've been filming professionally ever since. Wow. So many questions. Uh, (laughs) so I think that the thing that struck me most, uh, about the early part of your story is you mentioned that you weren't, you know, a promiscuous child. And the reason that stuck out to me in particular is as an Indian kid, like literally the entire message you get from your parents is, Oh, we don't believe in premarital sex. Like I remember my sister telling me about her sex talk with my dad on her way to college. And it was the most awkward thing ever. And then of (laughs) course, you know, we get out of school and they're like, why the hell aren't you married? And why can't you meet any girls? Um, so what I wonder about that, is what your early sort of lessons from your parents were about sex. Like what kinds of things did they teach you about sex and uh, sex education? Because like, I don't know, you know how close we are in age, but my earliest memory of sex education was watching like sperm swimming in a microscope. And I was like, okay, I, I don't really feel like I know anything about sex anymore after this, but it was in fifth grade. You get, you know, the boys and the girls are separated. You see this awkward science film and that's the extent to which you are educated about sex. So I, I wonder oh what were your earliest sort of lessons that, you know, you got from parents about this? Similar to yourself. First of all, I grew up in a very reformed Jewish liberal home. So my parents never, nothing was hidden. Everything was discussed. There was no you know, like we can't talk about things. Um, I just remember like going to the library and having my dad like explain what sex was to me. And, um, just like in a very, like your like scientific way. And, um, I remember the librarian saying, Oh, it's that time. And my dad was like, yeah, you know, like time to teach, teach the kids about the birds and the bees or whatever. Um, but I was never shamed growing up into, you know, not exploring myself or being like a free spirit. I mean, obviously my parents were, they didn't want me staying. Like I had a curfew and I wasn't allowed to bring boys home and I didn't do things like that, but they didn't tell me that sex is bad. Sex is evil. You're going to go to hell for having sex. Like that just didn't exist in my house growing up. Maybe it's because we're Jewish, but, um, you know, it wasn't until I started becoming like in my early twenties where I looked at myself as someone that possessed sexuality. I just never really saw myself that way. Um, but yeah, in terms of your question, um, I would say that it was just basically sex was just explained as a scientific means for reproduction, if you will. Yeah. So the other thing I wonder, you know, I've had a lot of guests with Jewish parents. And from what I understand about Jewish parents, they're pretty similar to Indian parents in that they're like, go become a doctor, lawyer, engineer, whatever it is. Uh, what I wonder, and this was something that I've been thinking about as I was, you know, knowing that we're going to have this conversation. What is the conversation like with your parents when you tell them that this is what you've decided to do with your career? Because I've talked to people who've told their parents that they're gay, who've told them that they're pursuing, you know, wild careers, the arts. But I'd imagine like this is a whole other level of a challenging conversation. Like, how do you navigate? the dynamic of that conversation with your parents of all people? And how does it change your relationship with them? Well, I'm very fortunate. My parents are non-judgmental people and very open-minded. And after, you know, years of square jobs and managerial positions and going to school, 
they realized I was unhappy. And again, I didn't just start doing porn overnight. This, this whole career was gradual. And I was honest with them about every step of the way. I mean, I, when I started working in the strip club in Long Island, you know, I told them I was dancing and I told them that this is something that I want to try because I want to make an independent living for myself. And I don't like being confined to a schedule. I want to do something creative and free. And I, I want to be a performer. And, um, at first, you know, they weren't mad or anything. They were just, they were concerned, you know, like any good parents, they just didn't want me getting into a situation that would harm me. And they didn't want me to get in trouble. And so with that, that was another reason I wanted to go legal because I I would never be able to call my parents and say, Oh my God, like something really bad happened. I got arrested or, and thank God I, I, that's never happened to me because I've always been smart. Um, but I think that explaining it to them as a career, as a profession, as, as a sex work, instead of doing something just to make a fast buck. Um, they ultimately understood, you know, and also by this time I was 23 years old, I wasn't like 19, you know, just moved out of mom and dad's house. I, I was a grown woman and I was making my own choices on my own terms and I was being very careful. And I honestly, basically told them everything along the way. Like when I went to Vegas, they knew everything where I was, my hotel I was staying at. I told them everything because God fucking forbid if something happened to me, could you imagine like your family getting a call and your, you know, your 20, 22, 23 year old daughters across the country doing, you know, trying to pursue a career in sex work. And I mean, you know what I mean? So I was, I felt lying and hiding like my desire to want more would have harmed me in the end. And I just never felt that judgment from my parents. And also, um, my parents never pressured me into becoming a doctor or a lawyer. You know, you're thinking of Hasidic and Orthodox Jews. That's not the Jew that I come from. We're very reformed. Even conservative Jews are a lot more open-minded than that. So, you know, you should know that as well. (laughs) There's, There's different sects, if you will. Hmm. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. 
Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides health protector guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Well, I appreciate the fact that you brought up that you know, your parents are incredibly non-judgmental about this. I mean, this is part of the reason that I was so intrigued by even you know the Medium article and kind of just wanting to understand this world in general. Um, yeah. Your parents, you know, were non-judgmental about it, but I think if you look at society as large, you know, sex work tends to be stigmatized, even though I don't think it should be. So, I mean, what do you say to those people? Like, because keep in mind, there are a lot of parents listening to this who's you know sure. content to homeschool their children. Like, what would you want somebody? who is a parent or a mother who is about to talk to their kid about this to know like that they wouldn't otherwise just from you know seeing the work that you do because i think that it's easy to see you entirely through the lens of just the films that you make as opposed to you as a person um so you know like how do you go about destigmatizing this and what do you want people to know that you don't well think? well that's and, the, and that's the thing you know when you're watching a performer work through the lens through your screen they're performing you know <laughs> And everything up until that moment has been done legally. Paperwork has been signed. Tests have been checked. Um, directors have gone over the um, the script or scenario for that day. You know, this is a professional business. We're taxpayers. <laughs> okay. Um, first and foremost, we pay our taxes. Um, and also, this industry is is a is a real career. You you don't make this choice overnight. And there are some agents that will guide girls correctly. Personally, I don't think 18 is the right age to have porn. I think that, forgive me, I think it should be up to 21 personally. I didn't come in at 18, 19, 20. I came in at 23. So I was in a different place. Um, what I would say to people stigmatizing us, I would say that um, not everything is for everybody. Sex work is extremely personal. Um, someone might have that. And, and again, there's an, an, there's a whole nother element to sex work that is called caregiving and, you know, wanting to provide comfort and love and 
significant amount of emotional support to another human, whether or not sex is in the equation. When I work at the Mustang Ranch, most of my appointments and the time that I have with my clients are that of caregiving. They're not of other things, even though sure that goes on as well. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's a draw here. People that want to do sex work for the real reasons, they, they feel compelled to either care give or perform, provide a source of entertainment and outlet for people. Um, it's our job. It's not who we are. We don't go around having sex with people that are, you know, dangerous or whatever. We are tested every two weeks. And now with the COVID thing, we're not even filming right now. We haven't been filming for three months. And although there is discussion in California on filming, um, presuming or resuming, excuse me, we don't have uh, solid testing in place. And personally, I am not comfortable going to set until there is either a vaccine or legitimate testing available. So you know, we're in a different place right now. I think everything has to be related to post-COVID now because right. everything is so different. Yeah. But I just want people to know, first of all, I understand if you judge us. I understand this might not be your choice career for a daughter, a sister, a friend, and that's fine. But please know that most of us that are in this career, it's our choice and it's on our terms. We are taxpayers. We're doing it legally and safely and we value our work. And it's okay if you don't. But we are legal sex workers and do deserve respect. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if you've seen it. Yeah, Rashida Jones did this documentary. Uh, I don't. I think it was like something about hot girls, about young girls entering the porn industry, and, and some of the really bad sides of this that end up coming out. Uh, one, you know, how does that happen? I mean, you've mentioned over and over the word safety and and sort of how diligent you are about being cautious about the way that you've gone about it. And yet, you know, we also see this other side of it that is apparently sure. really ugly. Like, how does that happen? How do people prevent it? Absolutely. Great question. Um, personally, I have not watched her docu- the the piece that she did for Netflix. I've heard about it and I've heard uh, wild criticism about the way she went about it. Um, here's the thing. Like I just said, five seconds ago, 18 is too damn young to start porn. So that's already the first problem. You got girls that are 17 and a half, just turned 18, trying to make money, get out of their house. Maybe they come from a bad situation. Maybe they have a record. Maybe they got into some trouble and they need fast money. When girls are in that situation, I find that it's that anything can be dangerous. Then they're liable to pimps. They're liable to sex trafficking. They're liable to rape. They're liable to assault. Um, honestly, I, I don't know how anyone else can be accountable for anything except themselves. And I'm not blaming these girls. But if there was a better screening process for getting into porn, and if there was something there to protect these girls, 18 is too young to do porn, I think. You want to dance at a club that doesn't serve alcohol. Maybe that's, a, you know, something better than going on film at 18, 19, 20. I feel that when you're 21, you might have a little more sense of your future. Mm-hmm. You might have a little more sense of yourself. Um, also, everything is the exception. <laughs> but um, do your research. How can this be prevented? Do your research. Do what I did. Take your time and get your feet wet and ask around and do some fucking research. Don't just listen to the one schmuck who says, I'm going to make you famous. I can get you work. Go online. Right now, we ha- you girls have the advantage because everything is on social media. Ask for references. Look people up. Do Google. 
go to LinkedIn, use, use your millennial resources to get, get that background layer of information that you need to protect yourself. Um, also, it's up to these agents to do the right thing. I mean, you can't just hold a girl accountable uh, or, or blame a girl for going into a situation blind when the agent's also a predator. You know what I mean? So there needs to be better screening for agents and to have license. Like the people that Rashida um, did the documentary on, I don't even think they deserve to be properly licensed, those people. I know who she's talking about. Mm-hmm. Bunch of scumbags in South Florida for my, or, or was it Arizona? I, I can't remember. Yeah. Um, but either way, do your research, ask questions, take your time. Do not rush into anything because if you think you want to do porn or be on film, ask yourself, why, what are your motives? What are your real motives? If you just want to make some fast money or up your escorting rate, that's not the right reasons to do porn. Mm-hmm. If you, if you want to be a performer and be valued and be respected, then I would say get a good agent and build your fucking brand. Shoot for yourself. Start building your own content. And then when you go on sets for Brazzers or Naughty America or Adam and Eve or, you know, Adult Time, whoever, then you can plug your own work. And that's how you can build your fan base. Use use what you have at your fingertips to get your name out there. yeah. You know, it, things have changed. The studios and the studios are still wildly appreciated and needed. However, the number of them have dropped immensely. And there are literally only five to 10 decent studios to film for anyway. And there are a few conglomerates that own maybe half of them. So <laughs> it's just, yeah, things have changed. So one thing I wonder, you know, when Erica Lust was here, she said, you know, in our modern world today, porn is pretty much sex education, particularly because young boys have, you know, uh, devices at their disposal. It, it kind of is their their first exposure to sex. Like, I remember if you talk to any guy and ask him, like, who grew up in, you know, like when I did, like late 80s, early 90s, when the internet came about, and you ask, what is the very first thing that you searched for on the internet? I've asked every one of my friends, and if they're honest, they all will say, yeah, it was porn. I very distinctly remember this memory of being in my dad's office and you know this is before you knew how to cover your tracks and he looks at my browser history and says did you look at pictures of pamela anderson in my office and literally my first search on the internet so i remember that very distinctly but as somebody who's a performer in the adult industry when you see that and then the fact that you know there's this other entire narrative that comes from the sort of anti-porn you know people who are like this is a terrible way to educate people about sex because it causes them to disrespect women etc cetera, etc cetera. like you know, in your role, how do you think we should be educating young people about yeah. sex? It's not up to the, no, I'm going to cut you off. It's not porn's job to educate your child about sex. Sorry. Okay. Eh, not going to buy that shit. That is not our job. Be a parent, do your job. And if you don't want your children searching porn on the internet, learn how to like lock your screen and be, <laughs> be better at things. I don't know what to tell you there. It's not up to porn and browsers to teach your child about sex. And that is the worst thing you could possibly do is turn an eye and say, Oh, he's going to figure it out from the internet. Nope. That's so bad. That's so dumb. And so, so irresponsible. And it's not our job. We are not performing for your child. We are performing for people that are 18 and older. So if your if little Timmy is watching Brazzers, that's on your watch, <laughs> lady. Because wow. we are not here for them. Mm-hmm. Okay? 
And I will be the first to tell you that you, if you are under 18, I do not want you watching my porn. Absolutely not. So I don't buy that bullshit. Be a parent. Do what my dad did. Take your kid to the fucking library and teach them about sex and how it's reproduction. And that you only really do it when you're, when you're in love or in a special relationship. That's how it was explained to me. Mm-hmm. But it's not a porn's responsibility or, you know, Abigail Mack or fucking, you know, James Dean's responsibility to teach your 10-year-old about porn or whatever or sex. No, no. not our job. Okay, so we'll come back to the relationship thing because I am very curious about this. One thing you know, uh, I want to understand about you know the clientele who come to places like you know uh, brothels. Tim Ferriss had you know the highest paid sex worker in the United States as one of his podcast guests, and I was really intrigued by the types of people that came to her, ranging from like you know forty year old virgins like to all sorts of people. So I wonder, what do you think we misunderstand about the types of people who are the clientele who come to these places? Well, again, going back to what I said, it's about giving caregiving. So a lot of these people are looking for a connection that supersedes sex. Sex is easy. Getting laid is easy. You know, when, when these gentlemen come to, well, first of all, I still work at the Mustang Ranch right now. We're closed. But when gentlemen come there, they're looking for companionship, caregiving, a connection, chemistry, a conversation, something of substance, something that they can actually take from. And it, it, it leaves them feeling like, loved and cared for. So we get all types of men, 40 year old virgins, young guys that are, you know, don't really know about sex because their parents never taught them because they thought it was porn's job to teach their kid about sex. We get a lot of that. We get, you know, guys that are widows and they are lonely and they just want to hold someone's hand. You know, it's, it, it varies, but you know, it's very personal. There are people that, you know, just want to be held and just want to have someone spend time with them, have dinner with them. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's true. So one of the, the, the thing I think I, I've been most curious about is how intimate relationships work with people, you know, and, and how do you distinguish between, you know, the person who is dating you that is caught up in the fantasy versus the person who, you know, has a true emotional connection with you at the same time, knowing that, you know, what you do at work is a job, what you do at home with this person is a, is a real connection. Like, how do you draw that line? Is that even possible? And, and how do people in the industry like for, manage intimate relationships like this? Of course it's possible. Like I told you, this is our job. It's not who we are. <laughs> We're not robotic programmed things who can't, you know, feel outside of the lines and go outside of our box. We're human. Yeah. <laughs> We're flesh and blood. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. But you know, I wonder like how do you how do you decipher the guy who is caught up in the fantasy from the one who genuinely I you know, you just you just know. Well, I don't I'm first of all, I have a boyfriend for 3 years and before him, I wasn't a, a big dater. I was always kind of very careful on who I let in. Um I was never primarily attracted to gentlemen in my industry, not for any bad reason, just because the ones that are really awesome are already taken. And then, you know, the ones that are great to work with, you just don't want to like ruin your work relationship. You know what I mean? I just, I I don't know. I I never really thought that dating porn was for me. Um, Mm. You can tell when someone, you know, you, it's just like vetting or screening. Like you just, you got to like keep your guard up a little bit when you first meet someone and you can tell their motives and see how they are to you. And 
see if they're worthy of, of really like letting your, yourself show, you know, letting the vulnerability and letting your, your true self show. And if they're, they are deemed worthy, then those walls start to drop. And I think a, a true connection starts to form, you know what I mean? And, and unless you see that the connection, maybe there was a potential for one, but it didn't form, then you say, okay, no hard feelings. You know what I mean? It's, I'm 36 years old. I'm not a, I'm not a little girl. So, you know, I, I can tell when someone is legitimately interested in me or they're fetishizing my work or putting me in that, you know, in that place. I, I don't go for that. And I'm just, maybe it's the New York thing. I just, I can see it. So one thing, another part that I wonder about that is I, I'd imagine for somebody to date somebody in your line of work, they would have to be incredibly secure and have an insane amount of self-worth so that they don't have insecurity kick in. Uh, yes. You know, like that to me is one of the things like I, I wonder what that takes internally from another person. Like how does somebody have that caliber of self-worth? Because I can honestly tell you, I think that I would have a really personally that would be difficult for me. That I think would be the most yeah. challenging thing. Cause I think that the, in theory, it would be like, wow, this is super hot. It sounds amazing. And in reality, I think I would be, I would, I know myself well enough to know that that would probably do a number on my psyche. Yeah. I mean, then that's the thing you, you kind of know in yourself if you can handle it personally, I know that what I do is I, I consider it work. So I do not take my work home with me. When I'm with my boyfriend, it's, he's getting, you know, me, he's not getting Sarah Vandela. He's getting Sarah, you know, <laughs> the other Sarah, um, you would, I've never dated a porn star because personally, I never felt a true connection with one that I wanted to date, but I would imagine that everything you just said is absolutely dead on. I mean, you would have to be so secure in yourself. And you would have to really trust that the person that you're with, that they really just see it as a career and a profession, that there's no, there's no underlying manipulation or games or any kind of bullshit like that going on. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, and I think that if you really have that trust with someone that, that, and that is, takes time to build, um, then you start to really see like, okay, it's just a job. Like I have nothing to be threatened over. Um, that's at least how I think my boyfriend sees it. I've never been in his shoes dating someone who's in porn, but yeah. to me, that's how I would see it, you know? Mm. So one of the other things I wonder is you know, like from what I've seen, uh, you know, just from the research that I've done, you know, from documentaries I've watched, it seems like there are some people, you know, I know from having, you know, looked at your AVN interviews that you've sustained this for 10 years. Um, there are two things that 13. Okay. Sorry. Like, I, I guess those interviews are old, but you know, there, there are two things that really stood out to me about what you said is, is one is that you have been very clear about the fact that you looked at this as a, you know, from a position of being incredibly empowering. And yet there are people who basically say the opposite that, you know, uh, like the, the industry basically is not empowering. In fact, it takes advantage of women. So one, you know, what do you have to say about that? But the, the thing sure. that I really wonder is how do you, you know, how is it that you have sort of the people like you who sustain a career, who don't make a mess out of it, they keep your life together. And then, you know, you get these people who get washed out. Uh, and, you know, this came like I was, you know, just as, as research for our conversation, I was watching the Netflix documentary after porn ends just to see kind of like the various outcomes that people have had in their lives after they leave the industry. So, you know, what leads to sort of one outcome or the other? 
Well, I'm still in the industry, so I can't speak for anyone who has left. Um, but I, I like what you said uh, in the early part um, about how people, um, how sometimes people can be taken advantage of, and that there there are elements to that. Um, and that is absolutely true, sadly. And you are right. Um, you know, and and of course, my experience hasn't been perfect. I've I've had rough days. I've had rough moments. I've had rough times. But I think you have to be extremely strong and thick-skinned to be able to get back and get back on that horse and keep riding if you want to really stick and stay in this business. Um, you know, there are going to be the people who. You know, so, so, so some things came up in, on Twitter last week. Um, some ladies came out about some sexual abusers and, and I, I have had my fair share of sexual abuse and porn. In fact, I have never been raped until I started porn. And that doesn't mean that my whole experience is shit or that everything is a mess. It just means that, yeah, it could happen, but you cannot let it define you. And if your real motives to being in this industry are, are, are legitimate enough to carry you through a rough time, like being assaulted because the way it happens in porn is so fucking manipulative. It's not like something you see on law and order where a guy runs after you and throws you against the wall and rapes you. It's not like that in porn. It's done so fucking manipulatively with, 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 with such, it's like, it's like a different kind of a predator. It's like, I can't even explain. Okay, I'll give you an example. Vince Foyer, fuck it, I'll say it. He followed me into a bathroom when I was on set and decided to, you know, have his way with me. And I was really new in the business. I was only three years in. This is in 09. (laughs) And what was I going to say? First of all, we were using his house as a location. I was supposed to shoot a porn in 30 minutes for some other company and Vince Boyer's grabbing me. So I, I honestly, I can't even remember if we had sex. He just, I just remember him being touchy and being gropey. And that's just one example of how guys do shit in porn. Mm. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, it's like they, they know that the girl's changing in the bathroom. The company is using his house, his location he has free reign to go in there and do what he wants. Now, granted, I should have had that stupid door locked and that was my fault. Um, but I don't remember anything too traumatic happening. I do remember him being grabby. Um, but that's just a small example. I have others, but I, I, I'm not going to say anything. But, you know, stuff came out about Ron Jeremy. I mean, raping girls. I mean, I, like, you don't even know. Like, these guys, just the way that they do it is so fucked up. Like. I can't even tell you. Like, it's not how you think it is. Yeah, it, you know, like it made me wonder. You know, like when we have the whole Harvey Weinstein thing going on with sort of Hollywood. You know, what does Me Too look like inside of the adult film industry? Because you know, from it's a what joke. It's, it's a there, joke right? to these people. It's a joke to these people. I've been on set with these people, and they're like, "Pound me too, pound me too." <laughs> and that's the guy who just got busted from adult time for raping girls last week, who just got fired. Wow. So that's how they would look at the Me Too movement. But the real way we look at it is like, yeah, if we say something, then we're blacklisted or, or our agent is complicit. 
I mean, here's the thing. You've got different tiers of agents in the business. You've got your low levels, you've got your medium tier, and then you've got your Spiegler. Spiegler's high end, man. Spiegler does not fuck around. If you're a Spiegler girl, you know that every detail, every, well, this is at least what I think. I mean, no, no one's perfect, but every detail of your day is already known. Every, every person who's going to be on set is already disclosed. When you have a lower tier agent, they don't want to reveal more information to the talent because it could potentially cost them money. And so agents are complicit. They know the guys that spike girls' drinks because they hear the stories. They know of the guys that tell girls, hey, if you fuck me, I'll get you more work. They know of the guys who, you know, will offer girls privates, you know, things like this. It's like the higher tier you are, the more protected you are. Wow. Um, so the unfold of all this is that there are different parts people are playing. And until everybody really gets honest and is accountable for the part they play, I feel like this abuse is just a cycle. Uh, I mean, are, are there people working to put structures in place like women in the industry? We're looking? talking about it. Yeah. We're, yeah. you know, we we're talking about it, but the sad part is, is that porn is still controlled by three to five different large companies that have a lot of money and some of those people have been accused recently of covering things up, not by me, but by other people in the industry. And so, you know, are we going to just wait for the call and when we can go back to work or are we going to, you know, take it into our own hands and just, this is when we start buckling down and really putting our work on our performer platforms and focusing on our fans because the industry can have these toxic elements so when it gets to this place, you just pull away a little bit, focus on your platform, let, let the dust settle, you know, but, but back to a little bit about what we were speaking about is that like the, and, and the Rashida Jones documentary, like that was a low tier agency, the, mm -hmm. the agency that was about those guys are fucking scumbags. Yeah. And that, that is, you know, sad, but true, man. It's sad, but true. But yeah, you can have, you can have a fantastic experience and come in like, you know, and I'm not, you know, Abigail Mack, I'm using her as an example because she's, she's a very esteemed colleague of mine and, you know, has an incredible uh, work catalog to her name and is also very vocal about girls and performers building their brand and focusing on their brand. And I love that message. I'm, I'm all about that. Um, but I can't say that her, her experience was different from another girl or mine. You know, we all could have gone through similar struggles it's just that we didn't let it define us. And also we had stronger motives for staying in porn and we, we love it here. Um, yeah. Sorry for rambling. <laughs> no, no, no worries. This is fantastic. This is fascinating. Oh, thank uh, you. You know, one of the, the, the questions that came to that, so we've been talking about this through the lens of, you know, female performers and, you know, we've talked about the ugly side of like male performers. What is, I mean, outside of that, what is, you know, the life of a male performer actually like? Because I think for most guys, it's like, oh, that looks like a fantasy job. Like, but I'd imagine, you know, kind of like for you, it's a job just for them. Like, what is the, what is a day in the life like? Male performers are fucking superheroes. These guys are for, for, for a female performer to shine and do her best and to just fucking be her bona fide self, she needs a solid, solid male performer. Solid. Like, you can keep up with her, but you don't have to outshine her. A good male performer knows when to push, knows when to pull. 
a good male performer knows that a good that a girl who can fuck can fuck back. And that's one thing that boys need to learn. Let the girl ride your dick, bro. Okay. If you're fucking a girl with experience, let her have a moment of of riding. You know what I'm saying? Um, because you're missing out, man. <laughs> you're missing out. Um, but no, these male talents, the ones that are the, like the crux, like the, 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 the security blanket of our industry, these guys are incredible. Some of them doing two scenes a day, some of them being put in positions that you wouldn't even understand needing to keep their boner while needing to keep a decent momentum. So the female talent can do her thing, right? Cause you can't stay still. You got to know exactly that right rhythm just to give just enough, just enough pushback. I mean, these guys are bent over backwards for, you know, hours and hours and hours on, on end. Let's, let's talk about VR scenes and how difficult they are for male performers. Yeah. Male, you know, they are so hard and these guys are fucking rock stars. I mean, you, they don't complain. Mm-hmm. They're not, you know, they, you don't hear a peep out of them, especially for VR. Cause it's all about the girl, but there are male performers do not get enough credit. I mean, Sure, there's good and bad in every walk of life in every industry, but these guys, the, the the solid ones in the business, like they are really, really good and special, and they support us. They know when a female is a little off, and they say, "You know what? I got you. Don't worry. Don't worry. I got you. I'm going to take good care of you today. You know, or or just you do whatever you want to this dick. Like it's yours. Like I'm just here for you. You know. And also, a good male performer can tell when a female talent might be a little irritated by the director. And a good male performer knows how to just whisper in her ear and just takes her to that other place, you know, and just finds that moment of chemistry and connection when you, and you can look at someone in the eyes and even though, yeah, maybe the director said some dumb shit or the PA annoyed you, whatever the fuck you zone out and you, you focus in on, 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 you know, on the eyes and you're just boom, magic, Mm. magic. So Male performers don't get enough respect. I mean, they they really work their asses off, and they are considered stunt cocks a lot of the time. They do wow. deserve more respect. So it's not the the fantasy that I think many guys imagine it would be I, from the oh, way it's you're a describing. Lot of work. Oh, it's a lot of work. Yeah. And also, it's not just about dick size. You got to have stamina. You got to be flexible. You gotta you got to be a good actor. You got you know for for dialogue scenes. You know you got to have all of you got to have a little bit of everything to 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 be a good male performer these days. Yeah. You know, like a Seth Gamble. He's, she's, he's like incredible. He can act, he can fuck, he, he can do passion, he can do anger, he can do it all. It's like, ugh, amazing. Wow. So you brought up VR and I had to ask about this because, you know, sure. we've seen the impact of technology on, on industry. Like from what I remember from watching Middlemen, it seems like the porn industry is always well ahead of everybody else in terms of uh, embracing new technologies and, and sort of, you know, like I remember watching Middlemen and thinking, wow, these are the guys who came up with the ability to buy shit on the internet. That's amazing. And from what I know, like VR is really making headway because I remember the, the first time I put on a VR headset about two years ago was kind of clunky. And I remember hearing that Basically, what has to happen is our screen resolution has to catch up to the point where it, you know, becomes, you know, much better. What, like, what is happening in terms of VR? How do you think that's going to impact, you know, even consumption of porn? Uh, like when when people come into when when this happens. Well, okay, I'm not a huge VR expert, um, but what I do know is that fans absolutely love it, and it's very popular. Uh, it's very hard to produce. There are some, you know 
serious and specific technicalities behind producing a VR scene that I cannot pretend to speak to because I'm not a producer. I produce my own content for OnlyFans, but I'm not a producer of virtual reality porn. Um, but it's very intricate. It's very specific and it's done with precision. And it's also very hard to perform mostly for the male talent because he is kind of there as the prop, if you will. Um, for the sense of the VR, because the viewer is the male talent in this way. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, VR is, is widely popular. It's taking off. Um, I've done quite a few VR scenes. Every time I get a little bit better at them. Um, it can be tough to hold a few positions because your framing is very specific. So there's not really a lot of room for freestyling, but um, you're, we're, you know, obviously we're allowed to take breaks and stretch and all this good stuff to keep, to keep it fresh and whatnot. But yeah, I mean, VR is, it's a whole world. Hmm. So I think I have a few other final questions about sort of sure. one, the creative process of this, because I, I appreciated the fact that you mentioned, you know, the fact that you are creative, which is actually why I, I wanted to talk to you because I was like, yes, you know, what stigma or no stigma, it is an art form. And, you know, yes. that is one of the things that's fascinating to me about this. What is the actual creative process for this? Because I think that, you know, we see a video and we're like, oh, it's just, you know, two people basically fucking. And it, like, from what I understand, it, you know, from everything you've told me so far, there's a lot more that goes into it than that. Sure, sure. Absolutely. There's, you know, the preparation of getting into your character, hair and makeup and wardrobe, there's kind of the, you know, we do our pictures. It's kind of like a dance, you know, we, we warm up, we start our pictures, we go over the storyline. I mean, I'm, I'm just, you know, using a, like a browser scene, for instance, um, do some dialogue. And then like, it just kind of the chemistry just kind of falls into place. The, the best thing is when you're working with someone who you absolutely love working with and you just have such a fun time that you can just, you know, not even worry about how it's going to go because you already know it's going to go great. But, um, Definitely, you know, there's, there's a few steps to getting, getting everything into place. And then once we're kind of in the zone and we're given that green light to go, it's just, you know, magic. And, um, there, you know, there's, it depends on what set you're on. Things are done differently, but for the most part, there is a bit of a structure and then we have our fun time and, uh, our fun time is the sex when we can film our sex. <laughs> and, um, sorry. No worries. <laughs> Sorry, so, I think I went off your topic, but no, no, no worries. That's totally cool. So you know that that actually bring me back, of, baby. Real yeah, pin, real not pin. a problem, not a problem. So <laughs> that actually raises another question. So you know, I, I think that you've had sort of this what they call this no fap movement of of people who uh, basically you know like oh you know guys who watch porn are perverts like whatever it is. Yet you talk to I think almost any guy like at some point or another, like, you know, I think you'd be hard pressed to find a male who hasn't watched porn. What do you say to the women who view guys who consume porn as, as, you know, being sort of like lecherous or whatever it is like, you know, they, sure. I, I'm curious, like as a performer, you must have a perspective because like the thing that you said, like I said, is that you saw this as a position of, you know, being empower yourself. Like it empowers you as a woman. Sure. I mean, well, when you, when you realize the power that your sexuality has as a woman, that's quite powerful in itself. Um, well, what I would say, I, I, well, first of all, I think that what you asked me right before that was something about art and how, how mm -hmm. it's artistic and yes, yeah. porn, it is artistic when you're, when you're creating something on video on film with someone and you're, you're just letting your, your 
selves kind of melt into each other. That's very artistic. And I think it's beautiful expression of, of art and creativity. Um, in terms of this last question, you just asked me, um, women, I don't think women should give guys a hard time for watching porn and you shouldn't judge guys for watching porn. First of all, anyone can, you know, do things in excess. And once it becomes like a problem, that's, that's a whole separate conversation but Mm -hmm. um it's okay for guys to watch porn. it's okay for women to watch porn it's okay to watch porn as a couple um what's not okay is people under 18 watching porn um but women stop giving your men a hard time about watching porn they're not cheating on you it's has nothing to do with you it's a form of release it's a form of escape and it's healthy way to escape your mind and release some some tension in your body. You're not hurting anyone. Um, and I would encourage those to please pay for your porn. Um, please don't support tube sites or please, uh, support your favorite performers directly via OnlyFans. Um, but yeah, it's okay. It's okay to watch porn. There's nothing wrong with it. Yeah. You're not a bad pervert for watching porn. (laughs) (laughs) and i'm telling this to myself damn it (laughs) yeah so you know i think we've talked about um legalized sex work sex work you know over the last probably five six years we've decriminalized marijuana like and i think that it's only a matter of time before we decriminalize sex work in the united states like across the board because it just seems like one for safety reasons that would lead to a lot less crime but this is something I was talking to a friend about the other day. I think it was last night because I told him I was going to be having this conversation. And I was like, what do you want to know? And we were talking about sort of the, the decriminalization of sex work. And I said, you know, I think that we're going to be able to decriminalize. The real barrier, I think, is to destigmatize. Like, how are we ever going to get to that point? Like, how do you ever get to a point where... You know, I I think that, you know, like that for any man would be like, oh, I would never want anybody to know that. Well, um, I don't know if we ever will get away from the stigma. That that depends on the judges. <laughs> that depends on you. That depends on me. That depends on everyone listening. I mean, you know, stigmas will remain where they are because people have a hard time accepting the idea in the first place, uh, whether it's against values or ethics or they just simply don't understand. Um, and again... I understand. I get it. If you don't want your daughter or sister or friend to come into sex work, it's a very difficult, soul-bearing, emotional uh, journey, you know? Um, But there are other sides to it that are professional and legal and safe. Not all of it has to be scary. And if someone is well-navigated and does their research properly and does not use drugs or alcohol, has a clear head and is going into everything, knowing what's happening, it, things can be different. You don't have to have the experience that I did. You know, will you be fully exempt? No, but is anyone? No, we can't promise that in life. But yeah. you, you can be smarter than me and you can learn from my experience. Um, but the stigma might, might never go away, you know? And as far as the legalization, I, I, that would be amazing, but I would like to see them get a COVID vaccine before legalizing <laughs> sex yeah. work personally. <laughs> I, I, I think that probably would be much better. Right? Just out of curiosity, I mean, outside of not filming, like how has all this affected you guys? Is that the primary thing that has happened for you? Yeah. I mean, this has been, this COVID thing has been insane. I mean, my last shoot was March 14 for Brazzers and I was supposed to do three scenes the following week. 
and they were all mo- canceled indefinitely until this COVID thing. And now they're saying that we might reopen, but we just had a spike. So I don't know what's going on. I'm going to kind of sit back and watch, see yeah. what, what, what pans out and what unfolds in the next couple of weeks and then kind of make my decisions from there. But um, I'm grateful that I can continue to work from home on my, on my fan platforms, doing Sex Panther and OnlyFans. Um, also staying in touch with friends, uh, through zoom and things like that. So I have two final questions, uh, for you. Sure. I think that from the outside looking in, I I think what we see, you know, sort of as people, you know, on the outside of this subculture, uh, is these sort of glamorous, crazy lives, you know, wild parties. What is a day-to-day life outside of, you know, being on set? Like, is your average day just like mine, like stupid errands and bullshit that everybody deals with? Yes, more or less. Absolutely. Like going to the, well, when we could go to the gym, go to the gym, run an errand, you know, maybe grab lunch, you know, see a friend and then back home to, you know, answer emails and get on your fan platforms, um, or get ready for set the next day. But of course you have these porn stars that enjoy partying and they're in the, and they, they can, you know, I went through party years and I, I was, I never, it never helped me. It only hurt me. And so I have, uh, been sober from cocaine and alcohol for six years. I do smoke marijuana. Um, but yeah, I mean, there are people that party, they can party without it ruining their lives and still get up for their scene the next day and pay their bills on time and good for them. But yeah, the majority of us are running errands in our sweatpants, um, <laughs> post mating and, or, you know, <laughs> Amazon priming right now, mostly, but yeah, no, we're, we're just, day-to-day like totally regular people i don't even look like a porn star i look like like a like a normal girl i just and i i don't want to dress like like overly sexual or mm-hmm. come off like that because that's not who i am i'm mostly in workout clothes comfy clothes i like to be comfortable um i don't really like to wear a lot of makeup um so yeah wow just like I'm just like you. <laughs> well, but as this a girl. Has been absolutely <laughs> fascinating. So I have one final question for you, which is how we finish all of our interviews at the unmistakable creative. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? Oh my God. Uh what do I think it is that makes someone or something unmistakable? Well shit. God, you leave me with a thinker. <laughs> <laughs> I've been known to do that. Um too. you know, I guess it's it's our it's our 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 history, our our story, who we are, you know, you cannot mistake that. I guess we're, you know, shit. I don't know. You just fucked me up in the head. (laughs) Well, I think that makes uh, a really beautiful and fitting place to wrap up our conversation. Uh, I can't thank you for the time to join us uh, and share your story and your insights with our listeners. This has been like beyond fascinating. uh, That was wild. That was Thank crazy. You. Um, you know, where where can people find out more about you and, and everything that you're up to if, if people wanted to look you up? I mean, obviously, a Google search would probably you know show them anything. No, like, where no, no. I don't like that. Don't Google search me. Yeah, go right to my to only... Go? Yeah, just go right to OnlyFans.com slash Sarah Vandela. Awesome. And you, can, and you can find everything there. Awesome. And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Unmistakable Creative Podcast. While you were listening, were there any moments you found fascinating, inspiring, instructive, maybe even heartwarming? Can you think of anyone, a friend or a family member who would appreciate this moment? 
If so, take a second and share today's episode with that one person, because good ideas and messages are meant to be shared. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.